So if you did use a home office in your home exclusively for business, and then you don't want to have to face the capital gain consequences when you sell, you would need to stop using that home office for business purposes for at least two years. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hello, simple passive cash flow listeners. Today we are going to talk about cost segregation. And not for those looking to cost seg their 200 unit, 300 unit apartment complex, but how can we use this for our single family home rentals, smaller rentals, or possibly even our primary residence? Again, this is the uh, passive investing show, Simple Passive cash flow, where we are trying to, uh, a lot of our highest and best uses at their day, our day jobs, but how do we optimize things, our investing, so we can get out of the rat race? And a lot of times I can see you guys getting out of it in less than five or 10 years. So today I have a cost segregation expert, David Brinzel on the line. Thanks for joining us, David. Thank you. Yeah. So in the past year, I've kind of found that cost segregation studies are a little bit of a racket. A lot of companies and firms will do it out there and typically charge around the same price, but there's a difference between a legitimate cost segregation study. And uh, one of those big things is actual having a site fitted visit, which David is actually, he flies out the, there himself and he does these things. But uh, yeah, can you expand on, I mean, there's a lot of companies doing this, right, David? Yes, there are. In the last, uh, I'd say 12 to 15 years is when a lot of them popped up. I've been doing this for 20 years. And in the first five years I was doing it, there was practically no one west of the Mississippi River that was doing it. Yeah. And, and also on the smaller end, I mean, on our apartment projects, we're, it makes total sense with the economies of scale on a 100, 200, 300 unit apartment complex. But when you start to get into a single family home, like a lot of you guys will have a $100,000 turnkey, it may not make sense. So there are some options out there that you might want, you can pay um, you know, 400, 500 bucks and they do a little desk review. But David, can you talk a little bit to the legitimacy of those cost segregation studies and how those guys operate? What they tend to do is they will ask you for the measurements of certain things that they want to segregate. And so essentially you have to do it. And then you give it to them and they'll put it into a report. That's the way I understand how they do it. We don't do it that way. I actually go to the site and do the engineering myself. When it comes to these smaller projects, especially if there are no architectural drawings that we can use for the engineering. And is there some kind of checkbox when you submit the cost segregation study to the CPA where, yeah, I actually did a site walk or is there any kind of designation that you need to do on your end? Well, I do put it in the report that we visited the site. When I say we, it's, it's essentially it's me, but I have an engineer who does the pricing on the value pricing of the assets that I want segregated from studies where uh, we don't have blueprints. And uh, also I photo document everything. So when I'm on site, I'm taking pictures of all the the, uh, components of the property that I want segregated, which obviously cannot be done if uh, if I don't visit the site. So you head out there 
travel costs are included. Uh, but well, no, um, no, actually, I bid, I bill those separately on top of the stated fee. Right. So you touch down, and what actually do you do on these trips? Just so people can get a sense of what goes into a cost segregation study. Well, I mean, I, I have to look at the entire property, both inside and outside. And so I photograph everything that I want to segregate. I measure everything I want to segregate in the case of uh, situations where there are no drawings to work from. And that's both inside and outside the house. And I have measuring equipment that assists me in doing that, such as the laser beam for the interior stuff and the surveyor's wheel for the exterior stuff. If we kind of left people at the dock there, what a case uh, cost segregation study is, but in a very high level, it's a report that allows the CPA to now aggressively write off the property. Most single family homes, you can write off a property in 27 years. So 127th of the depreciation over 27 years, which we call straight line depreciation. Right. But with a cost segregation, you're able to aggressively write it off. Oftentimes you can take one third of the entire building value in year one. That um, sounds about right in most cases, yeah. You guys can check out uh, simplepassivecashflow.com slash cost seg. We'll also embed this video in there too, but that's pretty much the, the guide to what cost segregations are. And if you want to see how that ties into your own personal taxes, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. But let's get into the good stuff, David. And before we do, let's throw down the disclaimer that you and I are not CPAs. I am no. a CPA. Oh, okay. You are. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Well, I'm not one and I'm not a tax attorney either, but we are just giving out infotainment here, right? We're not giving any professional advice based on your personal situation, but just some ideas that have David has seen some of his clients do. And so let's start off with the top, right? Like, can you cost segregate out and aggressively um, extract the depreciation on a primary residence that you want to live in? Let's talk a little bit that, about that. That you cannot do. You're not allowed to depreciate your own home. The exception to that would be if you have certain areas that are used exclusively for business. But even then, it may not be advisable to do that because if you are segregating out a certain portion of your home for business, a home that you own, then when it comes time to sell the home, if you sell it at a gain, you will actually have to deal with a capital gain on that portion of the home, which might more than offset any deductions that you would have gotten for that area of, of your home. That's the one thing in the tax code that's actually more of an advantage to renters than it is to homeowners, where a renter may use a, a bedroom in a two-bedroom apartment and they're using it exclusively for business. They can take all those deductions that are allowed and don't have to deal with uh, recapturing any depreciation because they didn't take any depreciation because they don't own it. Now, what are some of your clients doing to, do they turn it into a rental property or commercial property first and then they move in after? Let's talk about like, what are some folks that you're seeing doing? Yeah, you can do that. And what the way the law works is that as long as you lived in the home for at least two of the last five years that you've owned it, then it's considered your principal residence. We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean, mainstream investing. 
We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals to syndications as my net worth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash ofund and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where collectively the fund and investors like you pull their money together and get great bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come, because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. So if you did use a home office in your home exclusively for business, and then you don't want to have to face the capital gain consequences when you sell, you would need to stop using that home office for business purposes for at least two years. So how did they get around? Like, I mean, can they move back in? What's kind of the trick there? Oh, well, if you're talking about a separate rental property, then yes. If you have a, let's say you live in one home and you have another one that is a rental property and you're facing a large capital gain, then what you'd want to do is move back into that other home that was your rental property and live there for two years and then you avoid the capital gain. Uh, so let's just say you, you bought a house to live in. Actually, this was yeah. my case for my first rental I bought back in 2009. I lived in there for a year. I rented it out for the next, I think, two or three years. But you're saying if I would have just moved in for one more year, I would have been able to not have to pay the capital gain on all the whole thing. Right. You needed to live in it for another year. It's a total of two of the last five. Right. Now, you still would be facing depreciation recapture, but you wouldn't be facing capital gains. Okay. So let's talk about this other idea you, you and I were talking about. So they have a larger home, like a, maybe a million-dollar property that they mm -hmm. own. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that they are renting it out for a year, turning it into a quote-unquote commercial property, in that time cost-segging it out, pulling out the passive losses – or the depreciation as and putting in their back pocket for passive losses. So when they do have a different real estate capital event, they can use that. But then they're moving right back into the property. Unpack that for us, how that's possible. Yeah, especially with the new laws that came out two and a half years ago, it, it allows for 100% immediate write-off. Technically, it's depreciation, but you can take 100% of the value of, of everything we segregate and write it off in the first year. And then as long as you don't dispose of the property, so let's say you, know, you rent it out for a year and then, you're, and then after that you move into it, you don't have to recapture the depreciation. 
until you sell it. And let's say you don't sell it for 20, you know, 20 years. So you'll have depreciation recapture in 20 years. And that assumes anyone even remembers what happened 20 years ago. But technically, that would be the way it would be recaptured. And certainly, it's nice to get the deduction now while you're in a high tax bracket, sell it 20 years down the road when you may not be in the same high tax bracket. And on top of that, you have the time value of money of the 20 years. And for a lot of people that might be building their retirement home, right, they're going to plan to be in there for the rest of their life. That's kind of right. an ideal scenario. Right. So then you never end up recapturing that depreciation that you yeah. took. Yeah. I've, I've heard of like the, I've gotten some legal advice, which I think is a little too aggressive where they say, well, you just need to have the intention to rent it out or turn it into a commercial property. But you're, you're being a little more conservative here. Your, your kind of guidance is rented out for an entire year. Right? Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, most leases are going to be for a year. So typically, uh, if you rent it out, it's going to be for a year. And then at that time, you decide, oh, I think I want to live in it. And I, I don't see how the IRS can really argue against it unless it was very, very obvious prior to you buying it or prior to you renting it out, that that was your intention. And even then, I don't know if it matters. The fact of the matter is you did turn it into a rental by actually renting it out. Right. You know, now, if you rent it out for only a week, uh, th then I would say no. But if you rent it for a whole year, I, I don't see how they can argue against it. Right. And, and a lot of this stuff isn't tax evasion, right? I mean, you're following right. the, the letter of the tax code. Correct. So... Kind of um, going back to some people have a lot of single family homes like turnkey rentals. They typically cost a hundred thousand dollars. Yes. How much does a cost segregation cost, and does it make sense to do it on a smaller property? Or is, is there a certain rule of thumb that you have on just the um, price? In general, it's hard to say that there's an exact rule of thumb, but I have done studies on single family dwellings that were purchased for under a hundred thousand dollars. And actually, they, they work. And, and one of the reasons is because we're able to do those studies generally for under $2,000. And the, the benefit that will be realized from the cost segregation study will exceed the, the cost of doing it by enough of a margin to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And that's in a situation where the, the, the owner is looking to own that property for the longer time horizon, five, 10 years plus. That yeah, that's true. If you're planning on disposing of the property a year or two later, it's probably not worth doing the study on. Yeah. On a couple of our Mississippi assets, where we're not super bullish on the market. We elected not to do the cost segregation because mm -hmm. I mean, the way that the, the projects are going, they're going well. So we're trying to unload them in the first few years and yeah our attorney our tax attorney kind of advised us the general rule of thumb from their end is if you're if you're looking to hold on to the property for more than three years it makes sense to do it but if it's less right. it probably doesn't make sense but of course that's on a larger 100 200 unit apartment where the cost segregation study might be five thousand dollars you know that's you know, peanuts compared to the hundred thousand dollar in this case that we're talking about Right. Yeah, that's true. I, I would say the three or four year time horizon it sounds about right. And also what you want to take, take into account is your expected tax bracket. So if you're in a high tax bracket this year, but you think you're not going to be in a high tax bracket 
even next year or the year after, then it may be worth doing because you get the deductions in the higher tax year, tax bracket year, and then you're recapturing the depreciation in a lower tax bracket year. So in a way, it's a little bit of a form of arbitrage. Right, right. So let me kind of break this down for folks, an, an idea that I had recently. Yeah, I guess maybe one day I'll, I'll own my own house. I'm not a big fan of owning houses here in Hawaii or California, especially where the rent-to-value ratios are nothing. But right, right. Maybe one day all this investing will pan out and I can actually buy my wife a, a house instead of just renting. But <laughs> if I were to buy a you know $3 million house, which isn't is probably the equivalent of somebody's million dollar house in Alabama here in Hawaii three just to use a, a round number three million dollars here in Hawaii I mean like think the the land values are, are majority of the price so right I would say one third of the three million dollars is actual the building value which you could depreciate two-thirds yeah. of it being land so that means a million dollars is possible to depreciate and going by the general rule of one third of the building value is depreciable in the first year with a cost seg. If I brought you out to Hawaii, which I'm sure you would like, and <laughs> don't spend too much, there. don't spend too much time here. Yeah. When you're not doing your study, you have to you have to fill me back. <laughs> you can't right. fill me that. Yeah. But um, yeah, pay pay a few thousand bucks, do a cost segregation study, and then get a third of that million dollars. So three hundred thousand dollars of passive losses in my pocket to use whenever I want. It's not so much whenever you want, it's whenever you can. That's the thing about passive losses is you have to be able to use them. Otherwise, sometimes uh, you can get caught in a situation where they'll be suspended and carried forward until you can use them. Now, now speaking of Hawaii real estate, uh, one one thing that I have noticed, because I've done studies on two islands there, and that is the, the big island real estate tends to be less expensive than uh, the other islands. So that could be something to consider. Yeah. Well, I don't want to live there. <laughs> well, I, I there's, mean, not, there's nothing. It's a very rural area, right? I mean, well, no, Ka- Kailua Kona is, uh, yeah. you know, is, is, is barely happening. And I did a study of a, of a, a five-bedroom Airbnb that also had uh, two other residential rental units attached to it. They only paid, I think, $700,000 for the property, and it was only uh, maybe a 10-minute drive from downtown Kailua County. Yeah, out there, I would, I'm, you know, just kind of shooting numbers out there, I would say it, it'd probably be half-half the price of the land to the building value. I kind of did a lot of research about, about this back in the day when I was a city engineer, where we had to make um, offers to property owners to buy little slivers of land, and it just seemed like if you're in a high-priced area, the general rule is one-third of the property is the land or the building value. Two-thirds is the, the land value. And then when I look at my, my rentals in Georgia or Alabama, it's the opposite. Maybe you know, actually even less. What's common here in the mainland, with the exception of maybe areas that are high-priced like New York City or San Francisco, is that most accountants will will assign a value of about 20% of, to, of the purchase price to land. And that even includes where I am here. And it never seems to get challenged. Uh, so that's why even where you are, I would imagine if you talk to your accountant, if you bought a $3 million house, they might assign 40% to the land value, even though in reality, it may be more of the, like, 
two thirds, like you were saying. Any last kind of tax tricks you kind of seen lately that's been maybe not talked as much? Well, one thing is if you're if you're looking into at all into commercial property, one thing that that came about with the, the recent uh, passage of the CARES Act back in March is that if you have a uh, a commercial property or let's say you buy one and then you renovate it. The renovation of an existing building now qualifies as, instead of 39-year property, which is for commercial property, it now qualifies as 15-year property and is eligible for the bonus depreciation, which allows you to write off 100% of your tenant improvement in the first year, with the exception of certain things that would be considered structural which would essentially amount to the four walls around the building, the concrete floor and the roof, any stairwells, elevators and escalators, or anything that's load bearing. Otherwise, 100% of the tenant improvement will qualify as uh, could be completely written off in the first year. Awesome. David, do you want to get your contact information out there? We will also put it in the, the show notes. Uh, we'll put this on simplepassivecashflow.com slash cost seg for you guys to go pull this video and, and watch yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, my phone number uh, here at the office is uh, 480-963-2872. And we, we have done studies in 39 states. So we're at some point, we're hoping to get the other 11. But anyway, one, one thing I'd like to add, if I can, is, is to kind of go into what exactly we are doing, what, what cost segregation entails. And what it entails is the identification and segregation of the value of various assets that are contained in the building as well as outside of the building that qualify for accelerated depreciation. And in a nutshell, everything outside qualifies because everything outside is considered a land improvement. So we're talking concrete, sidewalks, driveways, porches, patios, curbing, asphalt, landscaping, fencing, all that stuff qualifies for cost segregation, uh, for accelerated depreciation. Inside, most flooring will qualify, such as carpeting, vinyl tile, vinyl, sheet vinyl, laminate flooring. What will not qualify is wood flooring or ceramic tile or any other kind of hard tile. Kitchen cabinetry will qualify. The power to the appliances will qualify. The, The appliances themselves, the baseboards, and just the ceiling fans, the, the whole host of things qualify to be accelerated outside, segregated and out from the cost of the building and then accelerated for depreciation. And, and the reason why I bring guys like David on the show is he's the actual guy doing the work. And this is all small businesses, right? We are kind of the anti-institutional investing world where there's just middlemen upon middlemen upon middlemen. Most cost segregation firms is just a bunch of salesmen, affiliate marketers, um, where David's the actual guy going out and do it. And if he has like a project in uh, Nashville and he's going to do my, like go to Huntsville and do your rental property, he'll bill accordingly. You know, he'll, he'll split the travel costs. Uh, I'm sure he'd love right. to come to Hawaii too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I've done one there in Big Island and one in Maui. And uh, yeah, so. It's great. And yes, I don't, I don't stay for an extra week and bill you for it. No, right. I don't do that. Yeah. 
Right. So yeah, I mean, a lot of the simple passive cash flow brand is kind of going off of value and getting the highest quality. Again, a lot of ta- things we talked about today had to do with taxes and we're not giving any tax or legal advice here. If you guys need a CPA referral, shoot me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. And if we haven't connected before, let's get on the phone and connect, man. Looking forward to talking with all the investors out there. Thanks, David. Thank you very much. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.